comes from Psalm 127. It's a song of ascents. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Psalm 127, a song of ascents. Now, that's probably not translating very well. Ascent as in going up, okay? Um, it has nothing to do with smell, right? And so we are talking about a song that is sung as we ascend. I'm sure that uh, our mission team is probably singing praise as they ascend into the sky this morning saying, thank you, Lord, we're finally on our way. We're finally ascending and making our way to our destination. So that's the way you want to interpret this. These songs of ascent come in a group of groups within the Psalms and they're credited to Solomon in the, in the Bible, but the way to think of them is, is that, that they were worship songs. You know, when you look in your hymnal, you see various acts of worship published in there. You see uh, songs for particular occasions, or you see uh, creeds, or you see acts of worship related to baptism or marriage or funerals or whatever. And so think of the Psalms in that respect uh, as you think about this one. Uh, every year, Families in small communities all over the Holy Land would gather to go to the temple in Jerusalem for specific high holy days of worship. And if you think about what they're doing, and if you can think in less American 21st century terms, this passage says all kinds of important things to us, things that we can apply today, things you can remember for your use in uh, your preparation on Sunday morning, for example, for worship. So try to imagine for a minute that a typical rural community, even in this country, just 50 to 100 years ago, would have been deeply interdependent and even interrelated. Many communities have that sort of feel to them, don't they? They, they have this sense of, of interdependency. This town was very well known for that 50 to 100 years ago. And so this kind of global economy that we live in now and this sort of international and, and uh, sort of multi-state sort of way of doing business is something that is, can be easily uh, confusing to us about what's really going on in this particular passage. People in a small town, a village, a tribe, whatever you want to call it, they were all interdependent and frankly, probably interrelated. 
Now, how many of you grew up in a small country church and you know that everybody there was related, right? Take it from the pastor who has served many small churches in the past, you don't want to open your mouth too recklessly when you're the outsider in a town or community church like that because you just don't know whose mother-in-law you're insulting and so on. So think in those terms, and you begin to understand the people who are singing this song of ascent as they're making their way to the big city for the various annual feasts. Imagine that, in effect, they are shutting down the town. How many of you grew up in a small town that was so small that the last one out had to turn the light off in the town, right? Or, you know, how they rolled up the streets and turned off the street lights every night. You know, people talk like that back in the day. How many of you remember watching Hee Haw? And those jokes were so common in that show. So my point is, is that you've got to think in these terms to get what they're driving at. But I promise you, we can bring it full circle to where we are today. Because if you think about what they had to do and then try to compare it to what you have to do, it makes sense. If you consider that for them to gather their intimate inner family, this, this mom and dad with lots of little kids in their house has to gather them up for a long journey overland on foot and then a stay at, uh, well, I'm trying to think of what you would call them, uh, like hostels, only, you know, they're hostels with parking lots for your animals. That's kind of what they stayed in over there when they came to Israel. There were lots of places to Jerusalem, rather. When they would get to Jerusalem, there are lots of places where, um, you know, people went back year after year. I don't know, maybe, maybe you could relate to it this way if you've got a family campground that's been a part of your family tradition and you go there every year in the summer during a certain time of the year or maybe even go to uh, a timeshare or something. It's like that, you know, you go back, it's all familiar. It's, you're dealing with the same people year in and year out. And uh, uh, it's like that. They would come for these festivals, but it was a lot of work. They had to get all the children together. They had to get all the necessary supplies together. I can remember when my kids were little and in diapers, and we would just go out to mom and dad's for Sunday supper. It felt like we had to take a trailer. So much junk you had to bring along with you. You know, there are portable cribs in there. Are you relating to this? Yeah, you know, all the junk that you had to bring along with you, all the supplies you needed just to go out and hang out at mom and dad's for the day. Imagine then taking them overland across uh, rugged territory and then staying in this foreign place, to you anyway, for a while. And then imagine that not only that, but you've got to take grandma because she's been living with you. And you've got to take, uh, well, you've got to take the neighbor's kids once in a while because they're going to take your kid once in a while because everybody's going Imagine you're the business person or the farmer or the person in town who is basically giving up a week of productivity that your family desperately needs because you're closing down the town for a week to go to this festival 
to go to this worship activity and you're frustrated, you're, you're doing this right up till the last minute, trying to get one more transaction completed, one more widget made or whatever. You're trying to finish a few things up so that you can pack up the family and head overland to Jerusalem and to participate in this worship activity. And imagine that after all this effort, this whole town closes down and the, and the guards at the city gates, think about what we just read. The guards at the city gates are saying, you people are silly. This town is gonna get ravaged while you're gone. When you get back, there won't be anything left. And then imagine that you say, well, it's what we do. And so everybody starts on this overland journey that's somewhat hazardous. It's familiar, so it has certain safety and the familiarity and the numbers and everything. And then, and then imagine as you cra- travel, you know, across this this uh, wilderness to this big city, and then you have to deal with the crowds. Think about that story, for example, when Jesus was twelve and they lost him. Think about that for a minute. You're taking your children to a big city where there's lots of people. And, you know, how many of you parents can relate to that? You get pretty anxious when you're trying to keep track of your children in a crowded, busy place. I remember when my son Jonathan was just four or five years old. I think he was about six years old, actually. And we were in Chicago at the Museum of uh, Natural History, and, and he got separated from us. And we were so scared. Oh, we were so scared. And he had a good head on his shoulders, even at five or six. And so we, we went to the information desk in the middle of everything. And there he was, looking for us. What a relief. What a relief. But the next time you think about taking all those children and going through all of that trouble to get to the place of worship, you, you think, I'm not sure this is worth it. I remember on Sunday mornings when we would pack the five kids and two with disabilities and extra junk that you had to bring with you. And we get through the nightmare of getting everybody together and leaving on time to go to church, and we plop down in the pew. I mean, plop down in the pew. Exhausted for just trying to get here. And we'd sit down and look up, and there was the smiling face of pastor, whoever it was, and he thought, why are we here? What do we, why do we go through all of this? I'm exhausted. Let's listen to the words again and see if you're getting where I was going with this. Unless the Lord builds a house, those who labor, labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and that you go late to your rest and eating the bread of anxious toil for he gives to his beloved sleep. You see why they would sing a song like that on their way to worship? Could you see why they would sing like that on their way to worship? (laughs) They're just trying to bolster each other. 
And Solomon, in his wisdom, says, I know how hard it is for you to get that family together and to get all of the people together. I know what you are giving up as you close your town for a week. I understand, but, but it's worth it. It's worth it. You'll see. And then... He says, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Isn't it a strange thing to say? Doesn't it seem a little out of context until you start thinking about what's really being, told, being said here? What's being said is, is, I know it's difficult, especially if you got a whole brood of them, especially if they're all under a certain age. I know it's difficult, but look what you're doing. You're raising them with this value. Worship the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Like you just can't help it. And you're showing them that that's important. That it's worth the sacrifice you make. That it's better than playing golf. It's better than watching TV. It's better than sleep. It's better than another day to do business. It's better to raise your children humble before the Lord. And the only way you can do that is because you humble yourself before the Lord. That's why children are like arrows in your quiver because they are your defense against the enemy. Raise godly children and your house is fortified against God's enemy. That's why the man who has many children raised with humble submission to the Lord and devotion to worshiping God like they just can't help it. That's why that person is blessed. He will never be put to shame. And then when he speaks to his enemies at the gate, what does that mean? Why would they mention this in this passage that, that you won't be put to shame when you're speaking to your enemies at the gate? Maybe because the enemy is the one who is saying, I don't know why y'all bother. What a ridiculous waste of time. What could possibly be so good about all that trouble that you have to go through just to get to church? And for what? Seriously? But if you look at everything said before that, you stand confidently before your enemy saying, well, you know, you, you just don't understand, do you? You just don't get it. I've been talking a lot with people this week about the future of our church and things we're gonna do as we move forward and try to regain, I don't wanna say regain, but to gain a, a, a fresh perspective, a fresh fire of, of Holy Spirit, enthusiastic energy. And, and there's nothing that works like Worship. There's nothing that works like sharing your faith with other people. There's nothing that works like seeing people's lives changed. And someone told me just recently, even last night, somebody said, I don't know how to share my faith. And I said, well, I've been thinking about this analogy quite a bit lately that I read and heard years ago in a sales conference, but it works, you know, and the, the analogy is really simple. We... Uh, we can think about the guy who invented the vacuum cleaner in the late 1800s when most people didn't have electricity and most people were quite comfortable rolling up their rugs and taking them out in the backyard and beating the dirt out of them. 
And this man tried everything he could to get the various department stores to buy his vacuum cleaner and sell it, and they wouldn't have nothing to do with it. So as he's walking away dejected, traveling away from the department stores, he sees, he sees a woman beating a rug in her backyard, cloud of dust all around her, no doubt weary and sweaty from the endeavor, and there's nothing like dirt and sweat together, right? And he walks up to her and he says, what if I told you there was a better way, an easier way? Would you be interested in hearing about that? Well, the rest is history. Wall-to-wall carpeting became a thing. People got electricity because they wanted one of those vacuum cleaners, you know, and on and on it went. Because the revolution hit when someone said, I see you doing this the hard way and I want you to know there's a better way. Brothers and sisters, this is the psalm we just read and it's the reason that we can tell people about our faith and about our religion and about our religious activity and this joyful community of believers that we're a part of because you can simply say to people, I see you doing this the hard way. And I happen to know there's an easier way, a better way, if you just let me show you. But this is where I hope we go in the future. But we've got to be unified in that purpose. We've got to be like a body of people who joyfully journey toward worshiping God with all our heart, mind, and soul, and strength, and and do it because we just can't help it. That's what we have to move towards, and we have to urge each other along, and we do that as we walk through the, the, the trials that we have to go through in order to worship God in this way, and we have to encourage each other singing songs of ascent, whatever they look like. Because if our entire ambition here is to be disciples of Jesus Christ and to seek disciples for Jesus Christ and then change our community through the discipleship and thus be so vital to the community's well-being, they wouldn't know what to do without us. If that's our goal, then the first thing we have to do is joyfully ascend together to the Lord's presence, to desire that more than anything else and to worship together in unity and joy Now, one of the things we're going to do, in part to solve some problems that have arisen, but more so to continue to seek the Lord wherever he's at work. Remember I told you last week that I've been scanning the horizon with my pastor binoculars trying to find out where the pillar of cloud and fire that represents God's direction is burning so I can follow it with you. And I think that the next thing is pretty simple and I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. So starting two weeks from today, that will be the first Sunday in Advent. Two weeks from today is also the first Sunday after Thanksgiving. We're going to have one worship service on Sunday morning right here in the sanctuary at 10 a.m. And it will bring us all together. It will bring us all into one place at one time to worship God like we just can't help it. It'll be very familiar to you in some ways, and it will introduce some of the elements that are more familiar to people who've worshiped in the Life Center. But at 10 a.m. during the Advent season and Christmas season, we'll be one family worshiping God like we just can't help it in an ascent to the Lord. And I'm looking forward to it because it will bring us together. It will create the unity that we still need in order to move together toward that pillar of cloud and fire that is God's direction for us. And I look forward to that. 
Sunday school classes can meet at nine if they want to, or they can meet afterwards if they want to, but they can work that out as they see fit within their context. But uh, the beautiful thing that I'm looking forward to is, is more of us together in one place for this occasion. And you're gonna see a lot of, I think, happy faces and familiar faces. We're gonna have more people-driven worship and people-driven uh, mission and ministry as we move forward. It's not gonna be staff-driven, it's gonna be people-driven. All of us are gonna join this journey together. And I bring you back to the Psalm. Unless the Lord builds the house, or the village, or the tribe, or the community, or the church. Those who build it labor in vain, unless the Lord watches over it. Then the watchmen stay awake in vain. The children or the progeny of our shared journey, that is the new disciples, the growing body of Christ, the growing sons and daughters of God. They are the arrows that fill the quiver and make us strong for the Lord. Then there will be no shame in who we are and what we do because it will all be done for his glory and for his name's sake. Amen. Amen.